Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Yes, for today's message, we're going to be talking about sleep. We're going to do a live demonstration. (laughs) Best service ever. All right. If you can sleep through this one. (laughs) Anyway, uh, hey, well done, Winter Christian Fellowship on the ABBA offering. I know that some of you are still working on putting that together, and some of you contribute to that all through the year. But uh, we've already begun assisting our community, and uh, we, we went out, I think they were out this week, and they purchased one of the freezers already, and um, someone stepped up and wants to donate the fridge, and um, anyway, so there's all kinds of good things that are actually happening with that right now, uh, but we are going to need a couple people to assist with a few things. Uh, one of them will be for the summer camp. I think we're looking for one or two more people to help uh, one more person. Two more people? Two more people to help clean up uh, uh, and, and prepare food and deliver food. Uh, so that'll be like in the mornings, Monday through Friday, while the camp is running. So if you're free daytime and you'd like to help out, please. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. There we go. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. See, I got to get my facts straight. I was too busy on this one. So anyway, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, we need two people each day to assist us with, with this. So if you want to do that, please call the office uh, or talk to Pastor Larry today uh, for the food prep and delivery uh, portion. We're also looking for a few of you to get together, and uh, we're going to assemble the boxes that we want to hand out. So we're going to need some people to uh, help us with that. So if you could also call the office and send your names in, that would be appreciated. So... Ron and Megan, thank you for reading. Or did you say Megan and Ron? All I heard was, and we're here today. <laughs> so this is, they were reading in John chapter 11, right? And we've been working through the life and death series. And they read the story of Lazarus, but I want to I wanna jump back to what they were talking about and then kind of continue on a little bit. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. So we see that this word sleep or asleep can also be translated death. He's died, right? And, and it's about 10 or 11 times in the Old Covenant, 10 or 11 times in the New Testament, there's these multiple words that are used as a metaphor for the word sleep. And when we're talking about life and death, there's this concept of, are they dead or are they sleeping? Now, I am not a big proponent of soul sleep. So if you're into that doctrine, we're gonna have some Uh, disagreements in my teaching today with your soul sleep thoughts, Uh, just so you know that up front. (laughs) Everyone needs to know that, right? Some of you don't know what I'm talking about. Don't worry about it. (laughs) But Jesus is talking and he said, "Um, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now I'm going to go wake him. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant that Lazarus had died. So he plainly told them, Lazarus is dead, and for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And then there's this crazy verse, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, or Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Why would he make that comment? If you go back in the context, 
The last time Jesus was in that region, they tried to stone him. And it wasn't so long ago. Don't you remember that? I mean, I was there. I was reading it and it became so real to me that I felt like I was there. But see, the disciples at that point, they were pretty devoted to God and to Jesus. I mean, for them to say, hey, let's go back to the region and hey, if they stone us too, they stone us too. We're okay with that. But Jesus uses this metaphor for death in verse 11. It went right over the disciples' heads. So in verse 14, Jesus kind of had to go back and say, let me explain it to you, boys. Uh, He's dead, but don't get your britches in a knot. It's going to be all right. Now, falling asleep, it actually gets us a new body. Not in the service. (laughs) In 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 20, Amplified, Now, if Christ is preached as raised from the dead. How is it that some among you say there's no resurrection of the dead, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, unless useless, amounting to nothing. And your faith is also in vain, imaginary, unfounded, devoid of value and benefit, not based on truth. We are even discovered to be false witnesses misrepresenting God, because we testified concerning him that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. If, in fact, the dead are not raised. So Paul's writing here to the Corinthian church. He's saying, look, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we're testifying that he's raised from the dead. But if there's no resurrection, then God couldn't have raised him from the dead. Did you catch that? Okay. It's a tongue twister. If the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is worthless and powerless. It's a mere delusion. You're still in your sins and under the control and penalty of sin. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. There's this picture again. Paul's using it now. We fall asleep in Christ. That's the ones that have died in Christ. And if we are abiding in Christ, have hoped only in this life that this this is all there is, then we're the most of all people, most miserable and to be pitied. So so there's this picture of we're going to die one day. We're going to go to sleep. This earth suit is going to expire and it's going to go to the grave. But then what happens is because we believe in the resurrection of the dead, we get to live forever because God is going to wake us up one day. And, and for Christians, this is why we celebrate the life of a believer who's gone on to the next life. Yes, it's sad. Yes, we miss them. Yes, there is grief and there is sorrow. There's a time for that. But this temporary earth suit, this shell that we live in, is only the first stage of our journey. This isn't, this isn't the body that we have for the final destination. We get a new body. And some of you are more excited about that than others. You'll see. <laughs> But see, in the next life, we get an incorruptible body, a body that doesn't break down, a body that's not subject to the law of sin and death, a body that where there's no sickness and there's no disease. Everyone said amen. Amen. So, So for us Christians, right, this is what we have our hope in. And that's why when a fellow believer goes to sleep, we celebrate their life. Why? Because now they're really in their real life. They're with Christ. They go to a better place. We'll get to that in a second. But in in 1 Thessalonians 4, let's read 13 to 16. Now, we don't want you to be uninformed, believers, about those who are asleep in death. I like how the Amplified 
translates it. That's why I'm staying there because they do a good job of bringing this out. So that you will not grieve for them as others do who have no hope beyond this present life. You may never see them again in this life, but you're absolutely going to see them again in the next life. This is our hope. For if we believe Jesus died and rose again, as in fact he did, even so God, in the same way, by raising them from the dead, will bring with him those believers who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For we say this to you by the Lord's own word, that we who are still alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will in no way proceed into his presence those believers who have fallen asleep in death. There's that word again. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout and a command and the voice of the archangel and with the blast of a trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, when Jesus comes back for the believers that are asleep, he's not going to walk up to him and say, wakey, wakey. <laughs> it's morning. Stop your snoring. It's a happy day. Let's get out of bed. He's not going to do that. There's going to be a shout of command. Wake up. There's going to be a trumpet that sounds. You won't be oversleeping on that day. No alarm clock necessary. You're not going to be hitting the snooze button either because when you resurrect to newness of life, I'm going to tell you there's going to be some energy and some atmosphere in the room. Because the manifest power of God is going to be present and the God that resurrects the dead is going to resurrect your shell and you're going to get a new body. Oh, come on. Some of you need to get more excited about that. Hey. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if our earthly tent, our physical body, that's this earth suit we live in, not the suit we wear, but the, the shell, the body, which is our house, is torn down through death. So in other words, it's going to die. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our immortal, eternal, celestial dwelling. How many know that the new body is infinitely better than this old one? And we groan going, oh God, I can't wait to have my new body. I can't wait to get to the next life. For while we're in this tent, we groan. Okay, and it goes on and it says, uh, being burdened, often weighed down, oppressed, not that we want to be unclothed or separated by death from the body, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal, the body will be swallowed up by life after the resurrection. Now he who has made us and prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Holy Spirit as a pledge, a guarantee, a down payment on a fulfillment of his promise. So then, being always filled with good courage and confident hope, and knowing that while we were at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. What does he mean by that? For we wait, walk by faith and not by sight. Living our lives in a manner consistent with our confident belief in God's promises, we are, as I was saying, of good courage and confident hope and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we are at home on earth or away from home and with him, it is our constant ambition to be pleasing him. I'll come back to verse 10. Whether you're here and alive and serving him, or whether you're asleep and with him in glory, our mission is to please God. Our mandate is to please God. There's only one way to do that, people. You know how you please God? How many think it's because of your good works? How many think it's because you were born a Christian and raised a Christian? 
How many think it's because you're better than the person sitting next to you? Good answer. <laughs> what pleases God? Faith pleases God. And, and, and if you love him, what are we supposed to do? We obey him. Believing and obedience. That's going to produce pleasing God. In this life. In the life to come, you're going to be so aligned with him in purpose and mission, it's going to be easy. In this life, you have to war with your earth suit. Your flesh. In verse 10, watch. For we believers will be called to account and, uh uh-oh, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may be repaid for what he's done in the body, whether good or bad. There's going to be Rewards and consequences given out when you stand before the king. This is good for those of you that like rewards. This is good for those of you that are obedient and walking in faith. If you're disobedient or if you're not walking in faith, that might not be so good. And then he says that is, each will be held responsible for his actions. Don and Terry. You've been married a long time. 54 years. Do you know on Thursday? Do you know when you stand before God, Don, that you're not responsible for Terry's actions? And Terry is not responsible for your actions. You stand before God solo and you own your own behavior. But God, you don't know what? Nope. But God, they said, nope. But God, you don't know. Nope. How did you respond? What choice did you make? What did you do with the information that was given to you and the grace that was placed upon your life? Are you obedient to the call upon your life? How are we doing? He says, will each be held responsible for actions, purposes, goals, and motives? And then he says, The use or misuse of his time, opportunities, and abilities. You know, if I'm going to tremble before God, it's not so much the things that I did that I know he told me to do. It's the things he told me to do that I didn't. That's where we have to really like zone in, tune in to what the Spirit of God's telling us. Because it's not just the things you do, it's the things you don't do. And the other thing that really stands out to me really loudly when I'm reading this is, it talks about our motives. Why do we do what we do? Do we do what we do for the glory of the Lord, for the glory of the Lamb? Or are we doing what we do to build ourselves up? Whose kingdom are you building? God's or your own? You know, we do... We do many good works as Christians, but are we doing that to give glory to God? Or are we doing that so people can say, attaboy? In John 5, 28 and 29, don't be so surprised. Indeed, the time is coming when all the dead in their graves will hear the voice of God's son. Not just the Christians, all the ones that have fallen asleep are going to hear the voice of God's son. And they're going to rise again. Those who have done good will rise to experience eternal life, and those who have continued in evil will rise to experience judgment. One day our Savior is going to wake you up, and you are going to wake up from death, 
and you're going to experience life or judgment forever. And you know how you, God's going to determine that? Based on what you did with the knowledge of his son, Jesus. You guys look like you're getting really comfortable. No sleeping. Everyone stand with me for a moment. We're not quite done. I just want you to stand up. You know, Jesus came to earth. He lived among us. He clothed himself with human flesh because he loved you so much. So all the temptations you face, he faced. All the stuff you got to walk, he walked through. He walked through pain and betrayal. He was ridiculed. He was laughed at. I'll get to that in a minute. But he chose to honor God. He made the right choice. Our real life with Christ begins in a moment that we call salvation, where you as an individual who are old enough to understand the difference between right and wrong make a decision. God, I'm a sinner. I need you. I need your grace and mercy in my life. And you call out to God for forgiveness and you repent of your sinfulness and your past life, sinful life, all the wrong things you've done. And you say, God, save me, change my heart. Help me to purpose to honor you with my life, my actions, my words, my motives, so that you get all the glory. That's a first step. Then from there, God tells us we're supposed to be obedient. How many understand that word obedience? You know what that means? You do what God commands. And I'll remind you, because we seem to forget this periodically, We are members of the kingdom of God. It is not a democracy. You don't get a vote. God doesn't care what you think. (laughs) He knows what's best. He made you. When he set up his guidelines for life, it's not subject to your opinion or your theology or your psychology or whatever else it is you think. He basically made you and said, this is the way to the best possible life, period. But he commanded us, commanded. Just like Jesus commands us to go, he commanded us to be baptized in water. And why do we get baptized in water? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Romans 6. While you're standing. In Romans 6, what then should we keep on sinning so God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we've died to sin, well, how do you die to sin? When you give your life to Christ, there's an exchange that takes place. You take your life that's broken, full of sin, and you give it to Christ, and he births a new man inside you. He births a new spirit inside you. You become alive, and then your life is not your own because you belong to him. You're dead to sin now. How can we continue to live in sin if we're dead to it? Or have you forgotten that we were joined to Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. What do you mean? When you go into the baptism tank, you go into the water symbolizing you died with Christ. When you come up out of the water, you rose to new life with Christ. Death, burial, resurrection. You're identifying with him as an individual. This is a key step in the life of a believer because it really distinguishes between the past life 
in the future life. It draws a line in the sand and says, I'm not a child of this world system anymore, but I'm a child of God. And then you start exercising your rights as a child of God. Too many Christians, they want to confess Christ, but they don't want to give up their past life. They don't want to let it die. Oh, I just want to stay here a little while longer and have fun. Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we've been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. So we got to understand this, that we're going to wake up one day from sleep and God's going to be there and he's going to say, were you obedient to my command? So I'm going to suggest if you've given your life to Christ and you've never been baptized in water, you've never made a clean break from the world system. See, there's a public declaration that has to happen when you decide to follow Christ. To be honest, I prefer that people don't walk around the back and sneak around the back because they're shy. There's something that's powerful in the declaration where you say, I want to live for Jesus. And by the declaration, you're breaking the power of sin over your life. You're breaking the power of the world system over your life. And you're declaring that, God, I want to live for you. You with me? If there's anyone here today... You've given your life to, maybe you haven't given your life to Christ and you need to repent of your sin and give your life to Christ. If you want to do that, you can come forward. And if you need to be baptized in water because you haven't done that as a professing believer, adult, you should also come forward. I see uh, Eric and Diane are here. We have a tank full of water in the back. Lots of chlorine in it. But if you need to be baptized or if you need to give your life to Christ, be brave and be bold and step out of your chair and come down here and join us. Come on down. Is there anyone else that like to join these young, these folks? Is there anyone else God's pulling on your heart today and you know you need to come down here and join us? I'll just wait for a moment. As a professing adult believer. Anyway, congratulations to you. I'm going to let them take you down the way. And you can all be seated for a few more minutes. So, Acts 760. Then falling on his knees in worship, he cried out loudly, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Do not charge them. This is Stephen. When he said this, he fell asleep in death. Jesus launched the church with his resurrection, essentially. It didn't take long and there was already a martyr. Someone was dying for what they believed in. Aren't you glad you don't get killed for what you believe today? Well, at least here in Canada. At least right now. They're already starting to throw people in prison for what they believe. You do know that, right? Okay. All over the world, they kill people for their faith. We're pretty fortunate here. I want to go to Mark 5, and then I'm going to start shutting things down. 
In Mark 5, 21, Jesus got in the boat again, went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on the shore. The leader of the local synagogue, whose name was Jairus, arrived, and he saw Jesus and fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. My little daughter's dying, he said. Please come and lay your hands on her. So heal her so she can live. Jesus went with him and all the people followed, crowding around him. And then Jesus is on his way to heal this little girl. I think it says she's 12 in one of the accounts in verses 25 to 34. And you know the story of the woman who had the bleeding issue. She wasn't even allowed out in public, really. And, and she came and touched his robe. And in the middle of the crowd, Jesus is like, who touched me? Because he felt the anointing go out of him. But while he was still speaking to this woman that he just healed, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, and they told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. I'm going to suggest to you that when the God who created the universe is standing next to you and you hear a report that doesn't line up with what you're hoping for and he says, don't be afraid, have faith, I would realize in that moment that he has power over life and death. And that when the creator of the universe says, don't be afraid, have faith, I'm going to set my fears aside and I'm going to step into faith and I'm going to believe that his word is truth. You can listen to the messengers that are bringing you the bad news or you can listen to the truth from the son of God. And you know what? In that moment, Jairus had to make a decision, didn't he? There's no place for fear, no matter what we face. Do you know, as Christians, we don't even fear death? We don't even, we're not, yeah, we're not supposed to fear death. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house or the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw so much commotion and weeping and wailing. And he went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Man, he likes that word, asleep. Now, I found it interesting at that point. He wouldn't let the crowd come and he wouldn't let the other disciples. He just brought his inner circle and the parents. And it says the crowd laughed at him. See, Jesus has been laughed at. Have you ever been laughed at? Jesus was laughed at. And Jesus was being laughed at when he was about to go raise the dead. How many of you have raised the dead? That probably didn't translate to the mic as well as I hoped it would. (laughs) The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. He took the girl's father and mother and three disciples into a room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the little girl, or the girl who is 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. Now, I I, I don't understand quite exactly his thought process. I may never understand. I'm going to have to ask him that. Because when everyone thinks she's dead and all of a sudden she walks out of the room, they're going to know what happened. They're going to figure it out. He went in. 
and she came out. <laughs> Which leads me to atmosphere and attitude. Uh, we are going to go into communion in a moment, but as we do, I want to talk about this for a minute. So why don't you stand up with me if you get your elements. And, and when we're talking about atmosphere and attitude, so many people want to see the miracles. They want to see God work a miracle in their life. So many people tell me, oh, I want the miracles. But what is the atmosphere that you've created in your heart, in your home? And what is the attitude of your heart towards the things of God? You know, I watch some people that tend to see more miracles in their ministry and they create an atmosphere. The worship team, all, all, all three of them right now, do a fantastic job creating an atmosphere where you can worship God. There's an open heaven. And you know, then people come and they say, hey, let's take a moment and lift our hands to heaven and create an atmosphere inside of our heart where God can move inside of your heart. You should be lifting up holy hands every day saying, God, move in my heart today. Atmosphere, attitude. A couple other things to point out. In both instances here, Jesus showed compassion to females as well as the Jewish leader of the synagogue. Culturally, that was something else. The woman who was bleeding wasn't even allowed out in the crowd. It was forbidden. She was unclean. Despite this, Jesus healed her in response to her faith. Jairus continued on the way to his home after the crowd told him his daughter was dead. He had more faith in the words of Jesus than he did the crowd's voice. So my question for you today is, what's the loudest voice in your mind today? Is it God's voice or your own voice? Are you listening to the one who put death in its place? Is his life flowing through your veins? Are you believing in the God who brings the dead to life? Or are you gonna to listen to the voices out there? Because your mind is being flooded with information every minute. There's information coming at you like never before. Let's just take a moment and lift our hands to heaven and close our eyes, open our hearts. Some of you today, you need to put off your spiritual sleep. Put off the slumber and wake up. You need to let the God of miracles come into your heart right now and wake up your dreams. Wake up the dead places in your life that have gone to the wayside. Let's align our hearts with truth from his word. Let's receive the love of God today. Some of you have a really hard time doing that, but right now in the moment, receive the love of God. Let his peace flood over you. places where you've lost hope let the God of hope come and speak faith Father let faith arise in the hearts of every man and woman here you know as we have the bread in our hand Father I thank you that everyone is going to hear your voice when you say wake up but for us in the faith today Lord let us wake up to the reality of the world we live in that there's a whole lot of people that are lost in sin and they need you more than ever. Let us let our light shine. Let us put aside our fears and our doubts and our unbelief 
and all other works of the flesh. And let us take on the nature of Christ. Lord, let us truly be woke in you that we can see you in the power of your resurrection and we can know the glorious ever-living one. So today as we partake, I thank you that faith is arising in the hearts of every man and woman in this room, even those that are streaming us today. Father, let faith arise in their hearts to overcome fear, to overcome sickness and disease, to overcome those things that the enemy has tried to put as stumbling blocks in front of us. We will not bend or break or bow, but we look to the King. In Jesus' name. As we go to the cup, Father, I thank you for the blood of Jesus, without which none of this would be possible. But we are forgiven and we can release forgiveness to others. Help us to guard our hearts that we wouldn't be bitter or angry. Help us to lay down even vengeance. We commit it to your hands. And as we forgive, Father, we return to you the right to judge. Because your judgment is just. We release the power of the blood of Jesus even over our community right now. Father, I thank you that your people are powerful in your name, in Jesus' name. have a new element that we're adding to the service each week. I've invited some of our younger congregation members. Today will be Dave and Carolyn, and they're going to do the benediction today. God bless you. Wasn't that an amazing message? I can't help but think that we serve a God that even when death comes, it's not too difficult for him. And I'm so grateful that I serve Jesus and that even in our darkest days, he's there with us. And even despite our doubt, he's there with us. Amen. I was uh, picking up one-liners all through the message that were really hitting into your spirit. But when we got to the end, he talked about Jesus creating an atmosphere we're doing this spiritual battle you are warriors for the name of Jesus and we need to get fired up and take our rightful place Pastor RJ said about information overload that's going on right now the only information we need is the word of God and he has shown me an attitude speak it out like you mean it and throw that sword up in the air and shake it in the enemy's face We've been praying for last year, every morning we get up and intercede for people and dig in. But recently he told me, all authority has been given to you in my name. You need to take that authority and kick the enemy out of the positions he's taken that don't belong to him, but belong to us as the body of Christ. Amen.
Lord, this place today on fire. We're praying that this place will never have enough seats for what God's got planned. Thank you, Jesus. Closing prayer, guys. Father God, forgive us, Lord, for not taking our rightful place as warriors for your namesake. We decided to change that, Father God. As things go on in this world, we were told last week from this pulpit that you plan on shaking up this country of Canada. Shake it up for your glory, Lord God. We look forward to the multitudes coming in. They won't even be able to fit in the parking lot in these churches, Lord God. Bring them on, Father God. In your name, we pray, Christ Jesus, an enemy. Get out of the way. We're taking our rightful place in Jesus' name.